How are we all doing? Okay? Good. Great to be here after um, a while of not being here. Um, could we all sit together? Would that be okay? Because we're kind of like spread out. I wonder, just to mess everything up, sorry, could we... Yeah, let's all move over here. Even Pat, you can come as well because there's no slides apparently. So, <laughs> squash up. Let's pretend like we love each other. We do. Woohoo! I've got to move now, haven't I? Because I'm in the wrong place. Is here okay? Yeah, I'm fine. Thanks. Great. No, I appreciate it. It's nice to check. Okay, so, um, great to be together. Uh, and we're going to carry on looking at, in a moment, when Rachel's rearranged. <laughs> She's looking after me. We're going to carry on looking at different ways, um, like we've been looking at, that we can be devoted, that we can be passionate in our pursuit um, of God, in our um, following after Jesus. Uh, And so we're going to look at a passage of scripture together in Acts chapter 2. And we're going to read from verse 36, which is um, a familiar passage for many of us. Um, It comes right at the end of um, Peter's sermon at Pentecost. If you remember, um, people have been filled with the Holy Spirit and, um, you know, the onlookers, the crowd are all kind of confused what on earth is happening. And and Peter takes the opportunity to preach um, the gospel, really, to to take people through Israel's history um, and to explain how actually this is what you know, everything has always been building towards when God would pour out his spirit on everyone and enable them to live the kind of life that God wants them to live as his witnesses in the world. And so um, Peter's kind of message culminates in verse 36 where he says, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And it says, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart And said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? You know, this is is what we want, isn't it? That when the word of God comes to us, whether it's the first time we hear the gospel or whenever we hear God speaking to us, that we would be cut to the heart. That we wouldn't be a people that are kind of indifferent. We wouldn't be a people that kind of sit back and assess the preaching or the, um, you know, the, the presentation. Or the, but actually what would matter most to us is hearing what God is saying to us. And that when we hear God speak to us, we wouldn't have this kind of like, oh, that's nice kind of response. Or, oh, yeah, deep word. Or, um, oh, yes, I've never thought of it that way before. But there'd be something more. There'd be something in our hearts that hears God Almighty, creator of the universe, who loves us like no one else has ever managed to love us. That we would hear that God speaking to us. That there would be something in our hearts that says, I want to respond. I want to be faithful. I want to be obedient to what God has said. And so these, these people, as they hear Peter preaching, they say, brothers, what shall we do? 
What do we have to do in response to God speaking to us? So Peter replies in verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And that's often where we stop um, when we read this passage. It's amazing. The Holy Spirit came. Um, people were confused. But then Peter preached the gospel. Uh, and everyone responds. And, uh, and they're, they're cut to the heart. And they get baptized. And about 3,000 people are added to the church. And, and we find that amazing. We're like, how we can't get our heads around it. Imagine 3,000 people added to us in Longsight. It's like, wow, revival, amazing. Um, But so often we stop reading the passage at that point, especially because we've got a little break, most of us in our Bible translations at that point, which of course weren't part of the original text. Um, Those little headings um, weren't part of the original text. Uh, And if we read it straight through, it says, from verse 40, it says, with many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. I wonder if part of their response to being cut to the heart I wonder if part of their response to this amazing gospel of Jesus fulfilling what God has always promised, that we can be filled with God himself, that we can know intimate relationship with God, that we can partner with him in his kingdom plan and purpose. Part of their response, part of their being cut to the heart, part of their like, what shall we do? Yes, they repent and they get baptized, but the outworking of that as they're filled with the Holy Spirit, is that they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They devote themselves. That's interesting, isn't it? That word, um, devoted. It's, an, it, it's a powerful word. And it's much more than kind of like um, they kind of went along to connect group when they had time. It's much more than sometimes out of guilt they went to tea and coffee after the meeting. Um, It's much more than, um, you know, that they had this sense of they really ought to turn up to church because they'd not been for a few weeks and everyone would probably be noticing and, and they don't want people to think they're backsliding in their faith so they'll turn up and they'll put in an appearance. It's much more than that, isn't it? There's a devotion what does that word devoted mean to you? What does it speak to you? What does a devoted look like, uh, life look like? Sometimes we use it, don't we? When, when, when people are in love, we say they're devoted to one another. And we're kind of saying like they're, they're just like, they're obsessed with one another. They're, they won't let anything else get in the way. Yeah? That's what it looks like to be devoted, isn't it? It's like you're determined to the point where nothing else can get in the way of this because it matters to you more than anything else. 
This is not a, this is not when I've got time or when I feel like it or this is like this I have decided is a priority and I'm not just having it as an intellectual, theoretical priority but actually I'm going to give myself to make sure this happens. Those of us that are parents, many of us, most of us, I would imagine, would say we're devoted to our children. Because actually, whatever happens, even if it inconveniences us, we are willing to put ourselves out. There's that sense of, I've got a commitment, I'll, I'll do whatever it takes to make sure they're okay. Well, these early believers were so challenged by the word of God, so convicted by the Holy Spirit, that they said, we're going to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So this morning, we're going to think a little bit, or this afternoon, we're going to think a little bit about one of those in particular, and that is fellowship. Fellowship. What does it look like to devote ourselves to fellowship? What does it look like to be passionately committed to fellowship? Where we say, actually, I won't let anything else get in the way of this thing that God has called me to called fellowship. Now often, fellowship does tend to become tea and coffee after the meeting in churches, doesn't it? It's that sense of fellowship is the kind of hanging out part. Fellowship is like the social stuff. And some of us find that harder than others. I I feel fine standing in front of a crowd like this, listening to me speak. And I might come across as um, like, oh, you're a confident person. But put me in a one-on-one, make small talk conversation setting, and I find it really hard. I'm not that kind of person at all. And I have to like make an effort. If I, if, you, if I come up to you in tea and coffee time and I start a conversation, that's me trying my hardest. So please um, be really kind to me. Be gentle with me. Because I find it really I'm shy. Um, I'm not shy in this setting, but I'm shy in that. So some of us, we kind of think fellowship. Oh, no. Go into like connect group. It's fine once the Bible study gets started, but that bit at the start when everyone's just like chatting and making conversation, oh no, it's like for some of us it makes us feel really uncomfortable. Uh, and, and like, so staying for tea and coffee after, what if no one talks to me? What if I don't know what to say? What if I don't know? And sometimes we turn fellowship into that. Now, all of that's important because that's how relationship is built. So those of us that find it hard, sorry, we have to keep trying. We have to just keep going um, and building those relationships and getting to know people. And, and, and we'll all be kind to one another, won't we? Um, if someone kind of like goes a bit quiet and doesn't know what to say, we'll look after each other, won't we? Um, but I want to help us to understand today from the word of God that fellowship is so much deeper than that. So much deeper um, than that. The word fellowship in the Bible, the Greek word that we translate as fellowship, um, koinonia. Um, I used to call it koinonia, but Yanni in Central tells me it's koinonia. So that's the proper Greek pronunciation. Um, and do you know what it means? It means sharing. It means sharing. Now, sharing is something we try and teach um, our children from a young age. Sharing is like, you know... Sharing can be difficult, can't it? Like, Judith always, if if fellowship is sharing, Judith always wants fellowship with me when it comes to portions of chips. Okay? Now, that's something that I don't really get because I'm like, if you want chips, order chips. Yeah? 
I ordered chips because I wanted a portion of chips. I wanted a full portion of chips. Why is it? I don't know. If, I don't want to like, cause any gender divisions. It seems to me that it seems... Certain people always want to share, don't they? They're like, you order any kind of takeaway. Let's share. No, I don't want to share. I want a full portion. Anyway, clearly I need a sozo. Um, but when it comes to Maltesers, Judith doesn't want fellowship. She don't want no fellowship at that moment. It's like, no, 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 the fellowship's over now. These are all mine. So fellowship means sharing, but, but it has to mean more than sharing chips or Maltesers, doesn't it? It has to mean more than that. And actually, in this context, when the Bible talks about us having fellowship, what it's actually talking about is us sharing life together. Sharing life together. But in fact, more than that, sharing God's life together. When we look at Acts chapter 4, because this incredible sharing um, in the Bible does go on, it says in Acts 4 and verse 32, all the believers were one in heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. And with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy person among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Now sometimes these verses are used um, to kind of encourage people to consider communal living, living from a, a common person and if people feel called to do that I'm not here to say there's anything wrong with that but I don't think that was necessarily what was going on here because um, actually the fact that from time to time people sold things would suggest that they still owned things that they could sell from time to time. But the point was, they were meeting needs as they arose. And why? Because they were of one heart and mind. These people, having been cut to the heart, having been convinced of the truth of the gospel, having centered their lives on Jesus, they now had this common sense of destiny and purpose that meant that they were, their lives were interwoven their, life, their, their purpose, their destiny was, was bound up together so much so that it no longer made sense to them to keep something for themselves when someone else had a need because they were sharing in their purpose and destiny. They were sharing in what they'd been called to together. They were living a shared life. Now, sometimes we think of fellowship and unity as something like that we're called to create. It's like we should make the church like a family. Yeah? We should build relationships. We should, we should create this sense of community. We should create this sense of unity. But I believe that it is really fundamental that we understand that actually what we're called to do is to maintain that which God has already created. Let me explain that a bit more. If you look at John chapter 17... John chapter 17 and verse 20. Jesus prays. This is a famous time when Jesus was praying um, and he's prayed for his disciples. And then in verse 20, he says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us 
so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. And then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. So when Jesus prays for our unity, he prays first and foremost for our unity with him. Yeah? In this prayer, as he's praying for, for the unity of the church, and, and people put um, often in the little heading in your Bible, Jesus prays for the unity of the believers or for all the... But actually he's praying, if you look, first and foremost, he's praying that we will be one with him. That we will share, that we will have fellowship in his life that we will share the life of Christ that just as the father is in the son and the son is in the father so also God will be in us as his children that he will be in us and that we will be in him in fact that's an interesting thought isn't it because often we think of becoming a Christian in terms of um, inviting Jesus into my heart yeah, we have, we have that strong sense of Jesus stands at the door and he knocks and he says, will you open up and let me into your heart? And, and we think of receiving Jesus into our lives in that sense. Um, but actually, it's as much, that is true, that's an aspect of it, but it's as much about will you enter into his life as well? As much as it's about, will you open the door to your heart and allow Jesus to come in and fill you, it's also about, will you go through the door as Jesus opens up the door of his heart? Will you come into my heart? Will you come into my life? Will you be baptized into me? Will you be immersed into the life of God that is in Christ so that he is in you and you are in him? And that's something, that kind of mystery, that kind of way of talking is, is trying to get us to understand what it means to share in his life. To participate in his life. How committed am I, having heard the gospel, having heard this amazing love that God has for me, having heard how he's worked throughout history to make it possible for me to be filled with the Holy Spirit. How How committed am I to immersing my life into his life? Into participating in the life of God. Colossians chapter 3. Lots of Bible verses to look up today. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1 to 4 says this. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. That's where your life is. What does that look like? What does that mean for us living everyday life? What does that mean for you in your workplace um, or in your family setting or wherever God's called you to be at 11 o'clock tomorrow morning? What does that look like 
for you to show up in your everyday world with your life hidden with Christ in God. With you being found totally in him. 1 John chapter 1. One John 1 and verse 1 to 4 says this. That which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we've seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we've seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. So John is writing and he's saying, we want to share this amazing gospel, this amazing story. We want to share our lives with you. And then he says, and, and our fellowship, this sharing that we have, is in God, our Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. He says, when we talk about wanting to have fellowship with you, when we talk about wanting to share our life with you, it's because we want to share in the life of God together. Now, Jesus has made a way for us to be in God. And because my life is hidden with Christ in God, and because your life is hidden with Christ in God, because because the The whole thing of being born again is that he is now in us, but we are also in him. Then the truth is, we are already one together in him. So rather than trying to create a family or create a sense of unity or create fellowship, actually what we're we're seeking to do is live out and maintain something that is theologically already true. This is who we are. We are who we are in this world because we share in the life of God. Because we participate in the life of God. We were dead in our trespasses, in our sins. We were separate. We were far off from God. But the moment we believed, we were brought into him. And our lives, not only did he come into my life, but I entered into his life. But you did exactly the same when you accepted him. And so our lives are now together in God. We are hidden together with Christ in God. And so as much as I might find it socially awkward to go up to someone and say hello and make small talk and and do all that stuff that we do to build relationship, before I even start on any of that, there's a truth. There's a truth You're not like a brother or sister to me. You are my brother or sister. We are hidden together with Christ in God. We share the same life. You know, um, we've got three kids, Luke, Joseph, and Nathan. You guys here in Longside know them um, better than most in the church because Joseph and Nathan certainly are here um, every week. Um, We've got three kids. When I preached this in Central, I had to promise everyone that actually these children do exist and explain why they were still here because they love you guys in Longsight so much that we didn't want to force them to move against their will. Um, but, but, you know, they are brothers and sisters. And they are brothers and sisters not because we tell them that we've just got to try and create that sense of... 
they're brothers and sisters because they share in the life that we have as a family. They, they share in our life. They, they are ours. And they can't change that. So we don't say to them, try, you know, try and like create a sense of family. We, we do say to them, we want you to maintain. We do have to occasionally say, you know, that's not the right way to treat your brothers and sisters. Um, we do have to occasionally help them to work on what being a great family looks like. But we don't try and create a sense of family because we are a family and it, somehow it changes, doesn't it, how you work at it. And we need to understand that theologically, fundamentally, we need to have that truth in our hearts so that we can be devoted to it. So that we can be committed to it. So that we can be passionate about working that out together. The kind of fellowship that the Bible is talking about is not just friendship or even family but it's sharing in the very life of God. So what does that look like? When we are devoted to fellowship, we are passionately committed to sharing in the life of God together, to sharing his life together. So what does that look like? What does that look like for us in practice, for King's Church in Longsight? What will it look like? How will people know that that you and me, that we are passionately committed, that we are devoted to sharing the life of God together. Of course, not just with one another here, because we want to have fellowship with all Christians, and yet we all know, don't we, that we we can work it out in practice to varying degrees, can't we? So we can have fellowship with the the church, in in a sense, with the church of God in in Sri Lanka, because we're praying for them. Um, I've been there and and met some of those guys, and I can tell you about them, and and we can pray for them, but the extent to which you're able to outwork that fellowship is, is less than what we're able to work it out here together but we have to be committed to working it out together we have to be committed to this looking like something real so what is it going to look like that's my challenge to us today for us to actually think about what is it going to look like when there isn't an organized connect group to go to for the next couple of weeks as as the team work on what what you're going to be doing next in those times what does it look like to be committed, devoted? Because if we're devoted to the fellowship, then it doesn't wait for an organized meeting. It doesn't wait for a program. But it actually says we are committed. And for some of us, that might look like sending a text message or a WhatsApp message, encouraging one another. It might look like calling someone up. It might look like uh, arranging to meet up and pray together. It might look like being aware that one another is going through a tough time and and praying into that, but also getting alongside one another, maybe bringing some encouraging scriptures um, to to encourage people in what they're going through. I don't know, it's going to look different in all of our situations. It might look like saying, well, how are you doing with sharing the gospel in in your workplace? I find that really hard. What do you do? Let's talk about that together. Let's pray for one another. But there's a, it's, it's not just having tea and coffee together. It's saying, we want to have tea and coffee together. We want to eat together. We want to have meals together. We want to do all those things we associate with fellowship because we're sharing in the life of God together. 
Because our lives are, are wrapped up with one another's lives because God has called us into this amazing gospel, this amazing mission that he's got for us as his people. In 2 Corinthians um, 13, 14, there's this um, amazing blessing that Paul gives that um, many churches um, have turned into kind of like a, a, a thing, you know, the great, we talk about the grace um, it says, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. It's not talking about tea and coffee with the Holy Spirit. It's talking about sharing the life of God because his Holy Spirit is in us. He sh- the Holy Spirit, his whole ministry to us is he shares the life of God with us. He enables us to participate in the life of God. Interestingly, um, when um, Paul talks to the Corinthians in his first letter in 1 Corinthians 10, and he talks to them about breaking bread together, he says in 1 Corinthians 10, verse um, 16, he says, is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share the one loaf. Do you know that word participation? It's koinonia, it's fellowship. Um, Sometimes we translate it as communion which is how bread and wine came to be referred to as communion. Because what Paul is saying is when we break bread together, we are actually participating. We're sharing. It's a means of God's grace by which we, we receive something of the life of God into us. And we, you know, we don't believe transubstantiation, the, the Catholic doctrine that says that molecularly it kind of changes and, and becomes the actual physical body and blood of Jesus. But the danger is in rejecting that, that we actually do miss the spiritual power and significance of what does take place when we break bread together. Because this is more than just a symbolism to remind us of something that happened 2,000 years ago. This is a means of God's grace for us to spiritually receive the life, by, by taking that bread and wine with faith, it's an opportunity for us to receive again, by faith, something of the life of God. We participate in his life. And what Paul is saying here is that we do that together. We share in that life together. Because, though we are many, because there's one loaf that's been chopped up into pieces, um, and we won't ask whether it was one loaf or two loaf, we'll just pretend it was one. <laughs> Because there's one loaf, Paul's using this analogy, we may be many, but we're all sharing in that one loaf. And of course, he's referring to Jesus. He's saying, because you all share in the life of Christ, the reason Gary's alive spiritually is because he shares in the life of Christ. Yeah? But the reason that Emma is alive is because she shares in the life of Christ. And the reason that Don is alive is because he shares in the life of Christ. So for every single one of us, we are alive. The life that we have, the life that we're committed to living is the life of Christ. And so we have to be, we have to be committed to living this life together, not because it's nice, but because this is who we are. And so when Paul says in Ephesians um, chapter 5 about not getting drunk on wine, but instead being filled with the Spirit, 
It's really interesting that the, the means he gives the Christians to go on being filled with the Spirit, and remember, this is how we have fellowship with God, is through the Holy Spirit. The means he gives them is speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Always making music, making melody in your heart, giving thanks all the time, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's our relationship with one another seems to have a direct impact on the way we share in the life of God. So Philippians chapter 2, last scripture for now I think. Philippians chapter 2 and verses 1 to 4 says this. Therefore if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ... If any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, it's koinonia, any fellowship in the spirit. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. We can't do this in isolation. We can't do this on our own. We must honor the Christ in one another. We must build and invest in our relationships. We must own sharing the life of Christ as a common goal. We must be determined to help each other. I know it's been a challenging time um, recently over the last number of weeks. And, you know, we've been challenged by difficulties in, in relationships. And we have to keep on pursuing reconciliation and believing God for that. Um, we also have to keep build. We have to keep. We mustn't withdraw at a time like this. We mustn't in our in our disappointment, in our frustration. We mustn't withdraw and, and hold back from fellowship. But now is a time to be as committed as ever, more committed than ever, to say we want to build fellowship. We want to share in this life of God in Christ together. We want to believe and pray for reconciliation where relationships have been strained or damaged. But also we want to keep building. We want to keep building with faith, believing that God wants us to do something amazing in our midst. And if he's going to do something amazing in us and through us, and if he's going to manifest the life of God in us as a church, then we have to go after this together. We have to have fellowship. Not just nice kind of social functions, as good and as amazing as they are, because they help us to build relationship. But not just seeing it as the social stuff, but actually sharing the life of God in Christ together. Because Christ in us is the hope of glory. Christ in us as his people is the hope of glory. And we have to do it together. We have to be committed. Me being filled with Jesus and the life of Christ overflowing in my life is as important as it is that that same thing is happening in your life. Because it's Christ in us as the body of Christ. That's the hope of glory. So we're going to respond to what we've heard. And I trust that God's been speaking to you. And, and there's actually loads for you to go away and think about what does this look like in practice 
for us to be committed, to be devoted, us as a group of people here, to be devoted to sharing the life of God together and not just individuals who happen to show up in the same place on a Sunday. What does that look like in practice? But the beginnings of our response to that we're going to do right now is just to break bread together. Because like we've read from the scripture, um, when we participate, when we share this bread, when we take this wine, um, this grape juice, there's a, there's a receiving, there's a sharing in the life of God again. And I'm going to invite us all to come to the table. I know sometimes we take stuff away and we break into groups, but I just want to invite, it might get a bit messy, but you know we can manage all come to the table as an act of faith to say, I want to receive something of the life of Christ. But also, as you do that, let it be a challenge that we're all receiving from the same table. And therefore, there is an implication that as you receive and share in the life of God through this way, that there's actually an acknowledgement and awareness that we're all coming to the same table. Does that make sense? Cool. So I'm going to take the covering off. Plenty of bread for us all. And let's partake in the amazing life of God in Christ together. So come when you're ready and receive.